Welcome, everyone, to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type, and then we report back the results to each other and you fine listeners as well. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Went. This episode's challenge is Christmas, actually. <laughs> fun little pun there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're looking this week. We're looking at things that happen to take place at Christmas time, but is not really the central theme of the movie. Right. Uh, which arguably, you know, Love Actually doesn't have Christmas in the title, but it's clearly all about that. Uh, yes. Wise. Um, so I guess should we call this our Die Hard episode or <laughs> yeah. like? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think we could definitely call it that. Uh, or maybe you know, the, obviously... uh, the, the the honorary uh, Shane Black episode, maybe since Christmas yes. has to be around everything yes. he writes. Yeah, Shane Black seems to really enjoy <laughs> throw, making uh, Christmas uh, or Christmas anti Christmas movies or whatever you call them. Uh, right. Not Christmas Christmas movies. <laughs> but it's uh, so I guess the first thought was like, what percentage is it like a percentage of the plot needs to be Christmas oriented for it to be like an elf or a miracle on 34th Street? I've had this conversation with people that were just friends through the years to the whole diehard conversation. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's a Christmas movie. And they're like, well, is it really? I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's on Christmas. It ends talking about Christmas. It's playing a yes. Christmas song in the credits. But then it's like, well, it's not about Christmas that much. I'm like, yeah, but neither is It's a Wonderful Life. Exactly. It's mostly a flashback story, but like that is one of the Christmas movies. So the percentage thing I don't think quite works as a part of discussion. Maybe it's the the vibes. Yeah, I mean, and and sometimes, you know, it could simply just be, there could be just one scene in a movie mm-hmm. uh, that happens to be on Christmas or something. And that, to some people, I think can really make it in their heads or in their minds. Yeah. Know, could could make it a, a holiday movie, even if that was not the intention of the director or writer or anything. Um, yeah. And I find that. I find it interesting because there, you know, obviously, yeah, the diehard debate has been, you know, probably ever since it's come out. Um, yeah. <laughs> still, I think that comes up like every year. Yep. Some kind of like internet meme, and, you know, is it, is it a Christmas yeah. movie or not? And cue the think pieces and all that. Yes. Yeah. But, but I think sometimes maybe people can associate, and I, I don't know if we talked about this on the last episode when we were kind of setting this episode up, but it could just be simply when did it come out in the theater? When did they see it? Or like when does it does it come up often on TV around mm-hmm. the holidays? I think a lot of times people kind of associate certain things like that, but it may not be just the most obvious pick or anything. Right, right. Um, I don't remember if it was Christmas or not, but I remember driving through a snowstorm to get to former employer of the art house here in Cleveland to, yeah. to um, get the film black Swan ready. Yeah. To go on screens. That is clearly not a Christmas movie, but I have like driving through the snow, working through the holiday ish season for that movie. Or I remember going to see gangs of New York before I came home from college for sure. vacation, not a Christmas movie, awesome snow scene in the beginning, a uh, big yes. battle scene, but like <laughs> I do have kind of like a Christmas season association with movies that have nothing to do with Christmas, which isn't how I did my list. They all have to be somehow, like you said, maybe there's just one scene or something else. Yeah. Um, but actually is kind of a Christmas movie. 
not really based on vibe. Well, some of them are based on vibes, I guess, but like the setting or, or or something, something kicks the plot into gear around Christmas, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, and, and sometimes you know, simply just you know, a music cue or something can mm -hmm. can automatically make me think it's Christmas themed, even though you know right. maybe it's it's not the intent or whatever. But uh, yeah, you no, know, I mean, obviously, I think um, so many. Um, so many, I mean, Christmas is one of the largest, as both of us know, as former movie theater employees, you know, Christmas day is oh, yeah. the largest, <laughs> um, movie going days in, mm -hmm. you know, in the history and, you know, black Friday is another one of those days that's like really big for the movie theater industry. But, um, you know, I think I always get excited about, you know, what's coming out around Christmas this year. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's partially strike related. It doesn't seem to be a lot. I mean, I'm excited for certain things, but yeah, you know, I don't like hear like my friends who are kind of not really as into movies as me, you know, there's not like something that they're like, Oh, I got to go see that, you know, which is, you know, it's kind of a bummer, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, I did, yeah. I hadn't really looked up what the general release stuff was, but yeah, there's usually something that like, I mean, studios, not that they're all working together, but they inadvertently end up having like, okay, here's a family movie. There's tons, tons of awards bait movies that come out around Christmas. Yes. Um, but there is kind of a something for everybody. Usually there's an animated movie. Like, yeah, there's like all the boxes are checked. So anybody in the family can go enjoy something. Yeah. Usually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess this year you can say it's Wonka. Um, oh, yeah, it, for sure. It's like there's a lot of snow in the in the context of the movie or something, but, uh, well, so then like the, the kids up through grandparents can all go together and I'm sure it's totally yes. fine for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Whereas yes. like, not everybody's going to be like, iron claw, here we go. It's yes. Christmas time. <laughs> I mean, I know you are, but yes, no. it's not like convincing the whole extended family to go. I don't think. Yes. Necessarily. <laughs> uh, it depends on the family, I guess, but I think there's also an element of kind of in my notes, I wrote down some films just stick the landing for Christmas. Like yes. it's a wonderful life. Um, I haven't seen White Christmas in a while. Mm, mm. Or is it Holiday and one of the two, like one of the classic ones where like it ends with the song White Christmas and it starts snowing, but like the movie isn't about the Christmas season fully until then, but it like the ending gives you that that feeling, that warm, fuzzy Christmas feeling. Yeah. So, I mean, I landing. guess on the opposite side, you, you know, I would say like Black Christmas or something where it's, you know, like Christmas is in the title, but oh know, right. At the end of the day, it's about a serial killer. Uh yeah, <laughs> uh, taking out uh, sorority girls. So yeah, that that one doesn't really vibe with the the Christmas spirit. But that one is like if you have, uh, you know, if Christmas stories on one channel, like maybe there could be like sci fi could start doing twenty four hours of Black Christmas or something like that. Who yeah. Knows? <laughs> <laughs> Or like we did um, last year, we did holiday horror. So like, yeah, you can oh, absolutely the antidote, I guess in my head, that's sort of the antidote. Cause I, I was just telling before we were recording that uh, my partner and I, Kelly, we watched, um, I showed her silent night, deadly night for the first time, the unrated one on, on Blu-ray. And we were talking about how that's a really good anecdote, not anecdote. That's a really good antidote because we also both collectively watch a bunch of the shitty, you know, made for TV. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Movies, which I actually, you described quite well. I never thought of it that way, but like, yeah, we put it on when we're like wrapping presents or organizing like the dates for family shit or like, do we oh yeah, by that. It's like, it's like background, like playing Christmas music uh, and a yeah. lot of for us. So we just recently did that where we had, you know, put on 
the the Tim Allen Santa Claus and Home Alone. Like it, it was just simply background noise while we were putting up lights and trees yeah. and all that stuff. You yeah, know? perfect. Exactly. Great. Yeah. And then you you I emotionally at least cross a line where I'm like, I cannot do any more of these. I need to go <laughs> watch Christmas Evil or I need to go watch, you know, it's it's one of those. Yes. So, okay, yeah. It's time for a violent night now or something. But yeah, that's not exactly what we're talking about today. I think the example and usually and Mike and I don't check ahead of time with each other to see what is going to be on each other's list. So it's, you know, we reveal it, like we said, at the top of the show to each other at the same time. But I did check this time because I didn't want to mention it as an honorable mention. And I want to make sure Mike wasn't either. (laughs) I somehow went all of this time without watching Batman Returns, which if you Google, you know, oddball Christmas movies or just even Christmas movies and you go down the list enough, that one does pop up and I'm not using it as an honorable mention, but I did want to shout out like, holy cow, it is really the category we're talking about. Christmas actually <laughs> is <laughs> in like every frame of that movie in the weirdest possible way. And uh, I don't know, DeVito might be one of my new favorite, like top tier Batman villains. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. I just I was not <laughs> expecting that. Um, but holy cow, is that one a weird one? <laughs> yes. So and it's now in the rotation. So uh, you want to kick off an honorable mention, Mike? Yeah, we got yeah. Um, so I I'm gonna go a little more recent, uh, for it, but uh, I'm going to uh pick David Lowry's The Green Knight. Oh, um, so this came out uh 2021. Stars Dev Patel, who's probably best known from uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know the the plot actually starts on Christmas Day, and um you know, where, um, our, uh, Dev Patel is, uh, basically told in one year's time, you're going to have to, uh, buy this, um, the, the knight who is basically like a stone kind of weird preacher, uh, basically gives him a one year head start that, you know, you're going to have to train and, uh, in order to, uh, you know, basically to, to live, you're, you're going to have to face me um in a uh a duel so to speak okay and uh so it's uh you know it, it's a very interesting movie I, I think it's beautifully shot um and uh i just love that it you know it starts on christmas and then it ends on christmas okay. um and uh you know it's i think it's one of those ones that you know i really dug it but it was one of those things where the a24 hype machine i think we've discussed on this podcast before sometimes mm-hmm. um that uh you know the trailers looked amazing it looked like it was gonna be very action-packed but it ends up it's kind of like almost a take on um you know the the odyssey or, or the the iliad you know one of those things where it's there's not a lot not necessarily a lot of action there's a lot of kind of introspection and you know, self journey and, you know, talking with, uh, foxes that talk or something. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's certainly, um, uh, I think one of the more daring movies that, you know, that's been put out over the last couple of years and, mm-hmm. you know, not a, a super huge budget, but it looks like a hundred million dollar epic. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, that, that's going to be one of my, my uh christmas picks there and i i think well you know maybe not this year but you know i, I would like to revisit it around christmas time because yeah 
there's a lot of snow and everything it gives you that that good vibe <laughs> i do remember that from the trailer um i actually completely forgot about this one and i really like david lowry's stuff um, yeah so far those stuff i've seen i've, I've really enjoyed and um yeah it says here budget of 15 million dollars just from the trailer like it looked like it was more like i don't know gave me more of like a ridley scott budget than 15 million that's really oh yeah good. yeah yeah and i mean who knows maybe because it's you know partially shot in europe maybe you can get things a little cheaper but oh but sure my gosh the uh just the yeah the the production design and everything it's it's a very impressive movie I will have to put that on my uh, to watch over the holiday season because I, I I said I've, I've enjoyed him. I like the most of the cast here is really spectacular, and I've been meaning to watch this. I just forgot that it was out there. And yeah, like you said, also well, wait because you said twenty twenty one was this part of the whole like victim of COVID and theaters kind of thing. Too? Yes, yes. So like it came out in the summer, and uh, I think it. I mean, and it did okay. I think, but I think it it probably would have done a lot better around like award season time you know mm -hmm. you know colder weather i think you know just that that correlation i think might have really helped it yeah yeah well, like you said maybe it'll pick up some steam as like hey this actually is an antidote to the hallmark lifetime yes. <laughs> stuff and has especially like you said if it starts on christmas and ends on christmas that's kind of an interesting way to bookend it um yeah you know it's a wonderful lifestyle exactly exactly <laughs> how about you um, I'm going to kick off with one that I watch, not necessarily, not necessarily as an antidote to the schmaltz and sentimentality of Lifetime and Hallmark, but one that is just, it, it's full of the same sentimentality and schmaltz. It's just because I like the actors and the setting and everything for it that I tolerate it better, which is totally fine if that, you know, Hallmark and Lifetime <laughs> stuff works for you. I watch a bunch of them as well. Um, I happen to, uh, it also hit me at just the right time. So I'm going to go with, uh, Serendipity from 2001 directed by Peter, uh, Chelsum starring John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. Yes. And this one hit me in just the right spot because, uh, was it the year or two before high fidelity, uh, with John Cusack came out. And that to me was like, it still is like top tier American romantic comedies. Like, yeah, I mean, within like the probably, well, in the top five, as he does in, in high fidelity. Yes. Throughout. yes. I love and <laughs> having grown up like around say anything and one crazy summer and John Cusack, uh, gross point blank was a kind of an interesting cult hit, uh, in my friend group as well. Um, and then also, you know, you have, you have Kate Beckinsale in there as well, just being as effortlessly charming as she is aside from maybe love and friendship or last days of disco, like it's, it opens um, in, in the rush of shopping during the Christmas season in New York city. So you get like the most amazing of meet cutes and like a, a night together. And yeah. uh, it's talking about serendipity and fate and if it means something or not, and they clearly click and you're like, Oh my God, I want to watch the whole movie of these two just hanging out and dating <laughs> and together. Um, but then they go to exchange uh, numbers. Kate Beckinsale writes down her number, goes to hand it to Cusack, and a gust of wind uh, blows it out of his hand, and it's swirling around with other stuff in the streets. And he's like, oh, no. And she's like, oh, it's a sign. <laughs> so she comes up with this idea of I, I'm going to buy a copy of Love in the Time of Cholera, the book, and I'm going to write my name and number inside it, and then I'm going to sell it to a used bookstore. And if you find this book, like, it's it's wildly <laughs> convoluted, but it's... it's um, it ends up setting up kind of a sleepless in Seattle, the will they, won't they kind yeah. of where you've got Cusack and I believe it's Jeremy Piven is like his work buddy 
Um, but anyway, it's years later. They're both um, Cusack and Beckinsale are both like in other relationships. One of them's actually about to get married. There's the cold feet. What about that girl? I mean, yeah. and all that. Uh, so it has like the lightest of touches, but it has all the sentimentality that you you would want out of a lifetime or Hallmark, but just done. Um, I mean, arguably not even that well, to be honest, but it's <laughs> actors that I like and it's very endearing to me. So I was like, I'm buying it from these folks. You got cameos by Molly Shannon, Eugene Levy. Um, it It's it's just a lot more. It just goes down a little easier for me, I guess, than some of the sentimentality of the Hallmark lifetime. Ones. Yeah. No, I, Cusack had a great run there, you know, with, you know, Gross Point Blank and oh yeah, High Fidelity and this one. I mean, he had like, I mean, I know from what I've heard in real life, he can be kind of crotchety, but <laughs> so charming in these movies. And it's like, and that's why I think they were successful. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Playing, um, I guess, maybe against personal type in some of these yeah. are going to be. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know sweet little movie so uh if that's the thing you're in the mood for then i think it's it's a it's a perfectly good example of that kind of movie absolutely um all right so my my next pick um is uh from tim burton uh it's not batman returns but uh, ever scissor hands uh from 1990 and uh so this one of course is um you know, basically takes place in this like very hyper stylized uh, suburban town. Um, I I would say it it has to be like sixties or late maybe late fifties, but um, uh, but you know, of course, he's discovered, comes down from the mountain, and uh, starts to fall for the the daughter, uh, played by Winona Ryder, and it leads to uh, basically Edward you know, becoming accepted by the family, even though it is a very, you know, unconventional, uh, uh, he's a very unconventional person with his, with his scissor hands and, uh, you know, kind of awkward. Uh, but it leads to this beautiful scene, uh, mm-hmm. which is, um, uh, you know, basically it's set at Christmas time mm-hmm. with uh, their fake tree and everything. But, uh, you know, they live, I, I'm guessing it's like California, but, um, you know, when Owen Ryder goes outside and starts to realize that it's snowing and we, we realize that Edward is like, um, you know, shaping a, um, you know, basically in, a, a likeness of Winona Ryder with uh, ice. And um, it's this like really gorgeous scene, the way how it's shot, you know, she's kind of dancing and um, Danny Elfman's score I think oh, yeah. it's so good um, in this particular scene. And then, um, you know, it all kind of ends on a weird note where, uh, you know, spoilers abound here. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, a, you know, it's almost it's over 30 years old now. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> he accidentally um, cuts her her hand. And uh, then that kind of like kicks us into the third act where, uh, we have uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character who plays the douchebag boyfriend. <laughs> oh, right, right. I forgot about him. Yeah. Um, you know, who's very jealous of uh, Edward towards uh, the way how he looks at Winona Ryder's character. But, you know, that always stuck out to me as like, you know, even though it's not a big portion of the movie that's like Christmas time, but I think that's like an instance where one single scene can kind of make it correlate to a Christmas movie. Oh, absolutely. That one aside, like I, 
I'd forgotten there was a Christmas element to it, but also um, because I'd watched Batman Returns, I yeah. had just been looking up. I hadn't looked up Tim Burton's filmography in a while, but Pee Wee, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood. That is a crazy decade long run. He has. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that actually. Um, yeah, I'd seen Edward Scissorhands since VHS days, and I put it, you know, in my watch list. So like, I need to go back and watch that one now. And now that, yeah. you know, if there's Christmas vibes in here too, this is the perfect time to go back and, and check that one out again. Yeah, it's one of those things where he had such that great run that it's like, I think as fan fans of Tim Burton, it's like we want another run like that. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> he's been, you know, I mean, he's had an occasional, um, you know, I I argue, I, I think. Uh, Big Fish is is really good, um, mm. and I also I liked Sleepy Hollow, but um, but I but sometimes the his later output, especially the stuff that he did with Disney, wasn't yeah. as, as good in my eyes, sadly. Yeah, but do you have some gaps in there that I do need to go back and and re uh, not re and actually see? Like I still have never watched Sleepy Hollow, so oh yeah, I mean it's definitely. I mean, as far as cinematography goes, it's wow. You know, yeah. it, like the production design. Ooh. And rated R too, isn't it? Because that's yes, yes. Usually that's uh, unique within his filmography, but yeah, there's um, some beheadings. So, you know. Well, I mean, you have to with Sleepy Hollow. What's your other one, Aaron? Um, so, my second honorable mention is I just realized I've kept these kind of um, contemporary. This one is from 2019. Hopefully this isn't a cheat. Uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> there is a film version, but it's trash. So I went with the the live version of Rent from 2019. Mm-hmm. And I did not go with the film version of it because that was Chris Columbus. And it's just it's a garbage adaptation, <laughs> I think. And I just I don't like all the choices he made, all the stuff. I had the, these hopes. So like I was a I was the theater geek as also being a film geek, but I was a theater geek in high school and in college. And I was just a huge, huge fan of this musical because it just it seemed like it was about um, the folks that I was around or at a certain point when I was in high school. I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah, going to New York and getting in the theater like how, yeah. like the main one of the main guys is, you know, a filmmaker like it just checked so many boxes for me. Uh, kick ass songs. Um, I traveled with friends. <laughs> oh, my God. I just think it, I think we went to eight different cities like we did. Wow. like. The, that fish style thing where like on summer vacation or long <laughs> yeah. weekend, like oh it's playing in louisville let's road trip to louisville and sleep in the car in a denny's park yeah we get in line you know as soon as the theater opened and wait all day to get those 20 dollar front two row seat you know tickets yes. and all that um so it's wrapped up with all kinds of nostalgia for me too is it an amazing perfect musical no i get the whole story with jonathan larson creating it and then you know dying tragically like very very young um maybe it wasn't fully finished and could use a few tweaks sure but like there's just like a raw power and emotion to it that i i i dig oh yeah and the, the songs are so great and the that, songs are great i mean and even the opening is uh december 24th 9 p.m yes Eastern, you know and like it's christmas and um i remember actually having conversations with friends that were just like that's not a christmas I'm like it's set at christmas like it look at the set design like there's christmas lights yeah. it's christmas musical it's amazing um but i always i always kind of held out hope that because i know like i heard member martin scorsese was interested at some point yeah. i was really hoping for a spike lee film version yes I, he, I think he was supposed to for a long i feel time. like he was in the talks there at some point yeah. too 
Um, but he loves the stage and he loves the theater. Um, that great David Byrne when you recommended American Utopia last yes. year, two years ago. It's like this guy knows how to do like stage productions as films. Give him a New York story. How New York could could you get? You know, yes. I don't know. Maybe someday we'll get a new up and comer that you know does a new film version. But there's this live version that I think went out on Fox because I think that's the channel that's been doing like Grease Live and sure. Music Live and all these other ones. And yes, if you read about it, there's a whole bunch of tech issues. I think Roger had a broken foot. So like things had to be a like it. The backstage was kind of a mess, but I don't care because it, it was pulled off. The set design was amazing. The crowd is like wildly enthusiastic, possibly too enthusiastic a few times. <laughs> yeah. that rounds out some of the stuff. But it's when I was like, this was more it was the energy. I think that one has the energy to me of a live show when you have a rock band on stage doing you know, yes. the music, uh, for a production. Uh, so that one is now in our rotation uh, as far as what some things that I watch, maybe not every single Christmas, but every other year, at least, um, well, since all of 2019, a few years ago, um, <laughs> I do go back to that version of it. Um, if not actually just listening to the soundtrack for sure, the original Broadway recording, but that one um, is definitely in the rotation. And I don't think is as forwardly thought of as a Christmas musical. Sure. The whole thing is set between Christmas and New Year's. So. Yeah, no, that that's a interest. Like I never even thought of it that way. Um, it's kind of blowing my mind for like, <laughs> like I sh I should know that, but yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I really like that one. But you know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. I get it. But th there's there's these categories of ones where like people that I I totally respect their their opinions and their 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 film credentials and and their recommendations and everything that don't like rent even though like they're they're really intense musical theater nerds or music friends of mine that like just hate the doors yeah. two, things, the two things that like i really love and i was like <laughs> I'll explain why they don't like it i'm like i get it you're just wrong yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah that one i don't know that's a good one to to throw on but all right what's what's uh what's your your actual christmas actually pick mike all right well i'm gonna give a quick like Point five. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about making Rocky Four, you know, doing a whole like thing about it being a Christmas movie, you know, because the big fight takes place on Christmas Day and all this stuff. But oh, it does it. Okay. I, I I decided <laughs> I decided to go with um with a movie that uh actually earlier this year, uh I think maybe January, I think it was January seventh, because I you know, I keep a keep a spreadsheet of uh, when I see things in theaters. So mm -hmm. I guess this technically you could count it a Christmas and a New Year's Eve movie. Okay, uh, but uh, uh, one of the the local art houses here in Akron played it as a New Year's Eve movie. Uh, but uh, it was uh, it's Phantom Thread from um, from Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh yeah. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. <laughs> Secrets. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. Things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I have given him what he desires most in return. <laughs> Every piece of me. 
it's one of those movies uh so you know i guess for the the uninitiated um you know so this movie stars daniel day lewis as um as a master um you know he's he's a fashion designer and uh has this you know it's called the house of woodcock and makes these very high-end dresses for um clients you know you know you can tell like he he does things for royalty not just in london but uh, all over and um so he meets this woman alma who is a at you know at the time that that they meet she is a waitress and um you know immediately you can you can already start to tell that this guy goes through relationships like he goes through dresses uh you know yeah. <laughs> like once once a dress is complete he kind of sometimes moves on or he gets bored mm-hmm. or his uh his sister who is amazingly played by Leslie Manville does not approve and uh you know hence like he he loses uh interest but uh there's a couple scenes in the film when Alma and him start their courtship um you know where they go to different parties now um uh, Danny Day Lewis's character is somewhat of a almost like reclusive a little bit mm-hmm. uh, like he doesn't he's not a people person but she likes to go out so there's some scenes where they go there there's definitely one christmas uh party scene but then there's also this great new year's eve scene that involves all these balloons it's just wonderfully shot um and this movie uh it's one of those ones that i think sometimes sparks that debate where i don't really get the point of it uh you know nothing really happens blah blah mm. blah um but it's really i think at the heart of it is cuz paul thomas anderson is decidedly you know a you know he has like a very weird sense of humor uh but i <laughs> i would call it like a holiday romantic comedy in, in okay. a weird way. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't come off like it, but uh, once, you know, there's this kind of this struggle of the, of their two wills, you know? So yeah. like he, he's kind of stodgy in his ways, but she is like somebody who gives it right back. Um, and, uh, it, and I think it leads to this conclusion where they, they absolutely have to be with each other in order to survive. And uh, it's, it's just like one of those, I think anytime or every time I've watched it, it gets better in my eyes. It's it's one of those movies that like, just every time I see it, it's, you know, I find something new to really enjoy about it. But, uh, but yes, so um, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the Christmas and the New Year's Eve scenes, don't take up a lot of runtime, but there is a lot of snow in that movie as mm-hmm. well. There's like this whole, you know, cooking like soup and everything, you know. So I just equate it with as like a winter time type. Yeah. Movie. Now, my turn for my mind blown because I've seen that one two, two or three times now. One, you're correct. Like every time I see it, I'm like, I need to be watching this like once a month. Like there is so much, like just the looks. Yeah, like things that are revealed. I'm like, I didn't notice that little look before this little cutaway or this little, you know, there was one last time I watched it. I remember writing a specific note that I was like, I never noticed that he clears his throat right there. Like, who? Yeah, it's so, so richly detailed. But I completely forgot that there are Christmas and New Year's scenes in there as well, as if I need another reason to go revisit that one. But um, (laughs) yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that that does make um, 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He, I, I'm trying to think back to when it came out. I feel like Anderson, when he was writing it too, wasn't he like he was working really closely with the actors he knew he wanted to work with too about their characters. So it's one yes. of those where specifically Danny Day Lewis, but I think Vicky Crepes and um, Manville as well were like really involved from a you know a writing standpoint. Like we're creating this almost together, very collaborative kind of vibes. I mean, obviously he's the the writer, director, and I believe cinematographer for that one too. Yes. Yeah, he's the um, uncredited cinematographer yeah. for that movie. And now he I think from going forward, he's gonna be just he's gonna be shooting his own movies as well. Cause he did it on Licorice Pizza as well. Yeah. Uh but yeah, you get that kind of a performance. Granted, like nothing really happens except, you know, life <laughs> in, yeah. in the movie. But you get those kind of lived in performances where you do notice like a throat clearing or a glance or just like a certain look. Um, because the actors know these characters inside and out because they're there almost from the get-go, you know, creating this stuff. Yeah, it's it's a movie that's actually, like, the more I watch it, the more I find how funny it is, actually. And, but it's like, if you were just watching it for the first time, you may not pick up on the subtleties of that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if you, yeah, multiple viewings, it, I don't know, like... I'm sure there's some argument. It's like you should be if you watch a good movie, you should just be able to like see it once and get everything. But but one time, you know, sometimes it's like you you watch something or multiple viewings of something do reward, uh, you know, yeah. to make it for the better. I mean, I was I felt very rewarded, rewarded by that movie the first time I saw it. And it was one of my you know, my it was on my best of the year list when it came out. But. Yeah, like you said, like it does reward that viewing, but also it intrigued me enough where I was like, there's there's so much going on here. Like I yeah. need to see that again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, as well. But so what was your pick? So my pick is so my honorable mentions were very contemporary. I went way back. No, not way, way back, I guess, but back quite a bit from 2019 and 1990 or no, 1992 was Batman Returns. Sorry. So I went I went back from 2019 for rent and 2001 for serendipity to uh Blast of Silence. From 1961. You're going to be party to an attempt to kill a man. This is the asphalt jungle. This is New York City. With its fancy women. And fancy hoodlums. With its very special beat. Its very special places. Its hunters. And hunted. And you will walk side by side with Frankie Bono as he stalks his prey, knowing what is in his mind, feeling what is in his heart. And your hands will sweat with his fear. Your pulse will pound with his desire. Frankie, no! No, Frankie! You're going to have to be game, Frank. Hey, you're going to have to pay luxury prices, boy. I'll pay you nothing. And even as he prepares to unleash his blast of silence, you will discover that you and Frankie Bono are playing the most dangerous game in the world. Which I found uh, because the Criterion Channel right now is streaming a uh, holiday noir kind of series. And I was like, wait, are these actually set at Christmas or not? So I was looking up uh, to see which ones, you know, were like a little bit more intensely Christmas. And also, I hadn't watched a film noir in a while, so I was like, okay, this sounds really, really good. And I'd never <laughs> even heard of it before. It was on the Criterion channel. So it's uh, from 61, like I said. It's directed and starring and co-written by Alan Barron, who's a huge um, – if you look up his filmography on IMDb, it's just – it's TV, 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 like 
Um, yeah. one, of the, one of the directors you can just plug into your series and you're like, we'll get a great episode out of this one. <laughs> yeah. The co-writer is um, Waldo Salt, who's a huge in you know screenwriting world. Um, the award at Sundance is named after him. Um, I believe he was blacklisted as well. He's been around for a while. But the story we're looking at, it's an original film noir story. And again, this is from 61. And so it, it was surprisingly to me bleak for being <laughs> 1961. <laughs> Um, it's a hired killer. The main guy, uh, Frank Bono, played by Alan Barron. Um, he is contracted to do a job to take out like a second string or not like the main head of a crime family, but he's like near the top. Like, you know, he's hired to be taken out uh, in New York City. So we get New York City. He arrives like right at Christmas time. And at one point he has time to kill. So he's just walking around New York City in 1960, 1961 at Christmas time. Um, I'm pretty sure you see like a Rockefeller Center looking kind of, but maybe it's Empire State, but there's like ice skaters, the tree, you see all the people out shopping and you just kind of hang with this guy a little bit walking around like, well, I got to kill time. My Mark is doing, he's like a restaurant or whatever. And he's like, well, I'm not getting him today. So I'll just wander the streets of New York, I guess. <laughs> um, but it's also, it's only 70, like 75, 76 minutes long. So like it, it moves. Like there's not a lot of extra extraneous stuff on this movie at all. Um his his code name is Cleveland, which obviously we enjoy <laughs> being from Cleveland. Um, but it's also because he is from Cleveland, and he tells this story at one point about getting into the organized crime life. Like he grew up in an orphanage, wanted to get the fuck out of the orphanage, so he went to <laughs> Cleveland. And he actually said at one point he's like, "Because I wanted to be around the big city." And I was like, "Hey, all right, Cleveland in the '60s, why not?" Yes. Um, so he leaves the orphanage for Cleveland and he works, he talks this, uh, tells the story about working for a guy who owned a parking lot, which I think we could not relate to, but like parking lot is, is key property in downtown Cleveland. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently uh, possibly mob connected or at least enforced at a certain point. Cause the guy who owned it wasn't playing ball. So gangsters blew up his house, killed his wife. And then <laughs> that's how this gentleman, our main guy, Frank got into it was, I don't know if it was retaliation or he just joined the mob then. Cause like, Oh, they're, they're, they run my parking lot job now. So yeah. I guess I'm in the mob. So he, uh, that's his quick little backstory. So when he calls in to check in on the job, he's like, Hey, this is Cleveland. That's his alias. So, um, I just find that to be kind of endearing. Cause oh, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it's got a really, really awesome jazz score. That's like a real cool hip kind of swinging, you know, late fifties, early sixties jazz score. But it is really like, um, it's really kind of not not overbearing in a bad way, but like it just takes over the scenes sometimes. So that's all you're hearing is the score during like a stakeout or a chase scene or a yeah. murder, uh, that sort of thing. It's Meyer uh, Kupfer, Kupferman, who I'm unfamiliar with as a composer, but like it's great. Like it's totally like a great period jazz score, but it's also not overused. There's all these moments where it's just quiet and you're just with him um, getting ready or trying to buy a gun or walking down the streets or staking out this, uh, guy he's going to, um, the guy that he's going after to kill that it's his, yeah. his contract. So the, it gives you a lot of quiet moments as well. But then on top of that as well, tonally, there's a narrator who's just this omniscient, like godlike narrator who sometimes is narrating literally what he's doing in the moment, but also talking <laughs> about what's going on in his head about how, like, uh, you, I prefer to be, you prefer to be alone anyway. So, you know, this is great for you. And so it's almost like running commentary, but also a voiceover narration, which is an interesting, interesting touch for 1961. Yeah. Um, I thought, and I couldn't shake the feeling though, the whole time 
David Fincher and Andrew Kevin Walker had to have seen and loved this movie as they were getting the killer going. Cause it's that story. Like you're just with this one guy doing a contract. Oh, it's not like a flashy action movie. It's just, it's kind of meditative and just like the routine and the professionalism of being a hitman. Yeah. I, I see it just came out as well on Criterion on December 5th. So, Oh, as like physical. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I would definitely pick it up because it's one of those that I guess it's kind of a hangout movie. There's a section two where, because uh, I mentioned he was from an orphanage, he's out like having a beer on Christmas Eve and he sees another kid who is at the orphanage with him. I think it's this kid, well, adult now, and his sister. And he's like, I won't take no for an answer. You're coming to my Christmas party. So then you see him like try to maybe have a human connection. And then he is around like the sister a little bit. She invites him over for Christmas because he's in town and then he's <laughs> doesn't have any friends, kind of still an orphan in a lot of ways. So it has some digressions again, but in like 70 minutes, like it's, it's really, it's really interesting. I don't know. I wasn't expecting to be kind of as impressed with it as I was, but yeah, it's a, it's a really solid uh, little bit of film noir. And again, it's all around Christmas. It's maybe like the two days before and maybe like a day after. And Christmas is mentioned a bunch. Um, it will not, it will not put you in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> like, it is a through and through film noir. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's interesting because when this was announced for the Criterion, you know, they always do like either Instagram posts or emails with the artwork. Yeah. And, and I could have sworn when seeing this artwork, like I didn't really like investigate what this movie was, but it to me, it looked like George C. Scott on the. Oh, 100 uh, percent. On like the way how like the, this animation's done on the the Blu-ray uh but uh but yeah it, you know maybe that was that was probably a selling point when they were trying to do it you know <laughs> like yeah i look like george c scott <laughs> i mean i i'm actively watching it going like it's a young george c scott like i couldn't get that out of my head it's so, <laughs> yeah. so close. It's some of like the stoic mannerisms and everything it's it's so close but um i mean it's just as good too i mean it's a, it's an it's a great um kind of very cold-ish performance it's that style of of hitman type movies where it's not necessarily about it's not like john wick it's not about the action it's more about the process yeah and like living with it and it does feel a little cold like i was thinking of um well the killer a lot when i was watching this one the george clooney one the american oh yes 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 uh, there's it's it's in that genre um this one's a little bit more engaging because you see some attempts at humanity <laughs> that he yeah has here uh, but also it's it's really, I think, kind of unique for 61 because we're getting a lot of like actual location shooting in New York City. Yeah. As well. It's not like on a soundstage or that sort of thing. Um, like they actually, you know, like went there and filmed it and used some really interesting exterior locations for it. That's amazing. But yeah. So our official watch challenge uh, picks for Christmas actually are Phantom Thread from 2017 and Blast of Silence from 1961. Well, enjoy uh, enjoy the holidays, folks. We'll be diving back into Watch Challenge in 2024 when we're starting our third year of shows. In the meantime, if you'd like to suggest a topic or genre you'd like cover on a future show for the year 2024, hit us up on Instagram at Watch Challenge Podcast or email us at watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or the links in the show notes. Indeed. Until next time, folks, rate review the show and whatever podcast app you're using. Tell a friend about it this holiday season when you're getting together and uh we will see you in the next year with the next challenge